0: All right, if you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to open to Titus 3. Um, If you're a guest this morning, I kind of want to bring you up to speed a little bit. Uh, You are walking into the middle of a sermon series. In fact, uh, we're towards the end of our sermon series. We've been going through the New Testament book of Titus, and you're probably wondering, where is Titus? It's in the New Testament. If we need the table of contents, that's fine. No shame in that. It's part of a collection of books called the Pastoral Epistles, and it's called the Pastoral Epistles in terms of the genre of the book uh, because it is written from one pastor to another. Uh, The Apostle Paul, uh, to one of his interns, Titus, and uh, Titus is stationed on the island of Crete. And the Apostle Paul, he would travel around the Mediterranean Rim, uh, around different parts of what we know as Turkey and Greece, uh, and he would plant churches, and he would be there for a little while, he would plant a church, and then he would move on. And in his wake, he would leave behind leaders uh, to shepherd those congregations. And Titus was one of those shepherds, one of Paul's interns. Now, what you need to know about uh, the island of Crete, where Titus is pastoring, where he is shepherding is that uh, Crete was kind of a wild place, filled with lots of wild living. Um, And what was going on, that that reputation, is the wild living, the low morality, if you will, was starting to creep into the church. And so Paul says to Titus, hey, I need you to go and straighten things out. Things have kind of gone a little bit sideways there. And so Paul would write letters uh, to his interns, to his pastors. And this is one of the letters, much like uh, how we used to write letters to one another. And now maybe we write emails or text messages that Paul is writing to Titus to encourage him to strengthen uh, what's going on in the life of the church. And so as we've been going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, it's a lot of Theological Doctrine, it's a lot about this is how you need to be a healthy church. And this is why we've called this sermon series, Titus, Blueprint for a Healthy Church. We could have called it, um, How to Live Faithfully in an Unfaithful World. Uh, I ran across a book this past week called, Surviving in Babylon, and it's written by a pastor uh, who's just really trying to encourage the church. And of course, Babylon is imagery, uh, Old Testament imagery for a world that's uh, not following Jesus. And so, you know, what does it mean to survive in Babylon? What does it mean to live faithfully for us in a culture surrounding us uh, that is increasingly Um, not very Christian. And so how how do we do that? And so real quick recap here. So kind of to catch you up to speed, we started out with Paul saying to Titus, okay, what you need to do is build on the soil of Jesus Christ. Make sure you've got good soil. The foundation of the church, a healthy church, is strong leadership. Those who are uh, not just strong in their leadership, but also people of character. uh, People of character and and competence. And then make sure you've got good plumb lines. And this is our plumb line as Jesus followers. Plumb lines are those things that help to understand angles and and, and all that good stuff. uh, In uh, kind of a building uh, imagery there. Then, reputable builders, that's all of us, gather a group of reputable builders and really focus on growing them in righteousness uh, in living. And then last week, we talked about staying focused on the work. You got to keep going back to the blueprint because if you don't stay focused, you're going to veer off in all sorts of different angles. And so today, uh, we are going to pick this up this building metaphor, blueprint for a healthy church. Manage your resources. Manage your resources, which, you know, in uh, labor terms today or in building terms would be labor and building materials, right? You got to manage your, your resources. And so I know some of you have been in the construction industry. And uh, Tom, what if you've got all sorts of building materials? You've got nails and lumber and shingles and insulation and, and uh, you know, all the stuff that you build with, but you don't have any labors. What, what, what happens? What? Not much gets done, right? And so you can have lots and lots of resources, but you don't have labor. either not much gets done or it's, it's slow going for Tom Anderson, right? Uh, out there all by himself um, uh, doing that. Or... On the other hand, uh, Mike Gilmore, what if you've got all these laborers, right? You've got a great labor crew, all these guys that you've hired to, to work on the job, but there's, um, you, know, you, you don't have much for building supplies, not much for wood and lumber and shingles and all that other stuff. How's the building project going? A big headache, okay. Yeah, I mean, and you're probably burning through cash, right? Because you're paying these guys, right? And so the question is, you, you're, you, you need both, right? Uh, in a good construction project, you need uh, materials, and you need labor, and you need to be a good manager. And oftentimes, I think, as we think about what does it mean in the life of the church, we often kind of live in this, uh, this this dichotomy, this question of, well, is, is it this or is it this? But oftentimes the answer is in both. It's, in, uh, it's the both and. But you need both. You need good labor uh, and you need good materials. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we prepare to continue through this journey um, with the Apostle Paul and Titus, we pray, God, that the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts might be acceptable for you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, about 15 years ago, uh, our family was living in Atlanta, Georgia. Logan was about 10 years old. Q was about eight years old. And I was having a dad moment. And I thought, you know, I'm going to teach my boys about, you know, hard work and, you know, all that good stuff. And it was a Saturday morning. It was a beautiful Saturday morning, probably like today. And so uh, I took our uh, 2007 Toyota Prius Parked it in the lawn, and I said, all right, boys, we're going to wash the car. And so it was, you know, a dad and two boys out washing the car on Saturday morning, and we're just having a great time together. I was having a great time, feeling really good about myself, getting the car washed, and, you know, show my boys how to work, and this and that. And, and after a little bit, my wife uh, looked out uh, from the house and said, hey, what time is your wedding? And I'm like, oh, yeah. I got a wedding today and I just got this panicky moment and uh, only pastors have these panicky moments, but this is what keeps us up at night is a wedding where the pastor doesn't show up. And um, although I've never done that before, this was as close to that. And, and it was actually um, uh, getting close to the time of the wedding. Well, we lived in suburban Atlanta, and the wedding was inner city Atlanta. I knew I had at least a 30-minute drive ahead of me. So I raced in the house, um, took a very quick shower. And you got to know, I was at a church where I was expected to really dress up. This was a very high church, formal wedding, pipe organ, you know, the whole nine yards. So I had to, you know, I had to clean up a little bit and and get ready. So I'm just racing through my mind and, you know, okay, what do I got to do? And I'm thinking, all right, Um, If there's traffic, if you've driven in Atlanta, you know, you got to plan contingency routes to get there. And so I'm just thinking about getting ready for this wedding. So I race out of the house with what I needed to go. I jump in my car. I look over my left side because I knew which way I was going. And so I started backing up and not really realizing that I was going this way. And I hit a tree. And that dent is still on my 2007 Prius. And it's a reminder for me, I think for all of us, and you know this, when you're backing up, you don't just look one way, you look both ways. I think this image for me just has continued to rattle through my head for years and years and years about the importance of paying attention to both sides of things. Because when you're driving down the road, you know this, there are two ditches. And it's so easy to fall into one ditch or the other. And we need to live in the tension of these two ditches. We need to live in the tension of the issues before us so that we don't get pulled too far or fall in on one side or the other. And this is in many ways, I think, what the Apostle Paul is going to write to Titus about today. Paul wrote about half the New Testament. And over and over and over, he's writing about this idea of doctrine and orthodox belief. But he, and, then, and then he'll pause and he'll pivot and he'll say, but it's not just about what you believe, but it's how you behave. It's not just about orthodox teaching, but it's also about orthopraxis, how we live our lives. It's not just about believing and following God's word, but it's about doing and how do we live this out in our lives. And sometimes people will argue and say, well, What's more important, biblical uh, knowledge or biblical living? And the answer is yes. It's not an either or proposition. It's about both and. It's about both believing and behaving. So this is what Paul writes in Titus 3, beginning with verse 8. And I want to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. And so what Paul is writing about, it's, you know, it's not just about what you believe, but it's actually about where the rubber hits the road. It's about how you live it out, how you live out your Christian beliefs. And the early church really understood what this was all about, this idea of not just believing the right things or following Jesus and understanding Jesus according to God's word, but it's how they put their faith into practice. And so if someone was sick in the early church, guess who showed up? It was the Christians. If someone is in trouble and they uh, ended up in jail, it was the Christians who showed up to visit them. Over and over and over, if there was a financial calamity, it was the Christians who got out their checkbooks and were very generous. And the early church understood what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ is not to just believe certain things, but it's to put our belief into our behavior and live out our faith. And the world God took notice of what was going on. Why are these Christians behaving so differently than the rest of the world? They actually put their faith into practice. It was such a radical love. And of course, this is what Jesus did is he practiced this radical love, every person he encountered. But now all of a sudden he had passed that on to the church and they were living out their faith in such a way that they were behaving and the world was going, oh, these people are different. James, the brother of Jesus He picks up on this idea also in his book, in his letter to the church. But he does it in a little bit more sarcastic way, which I really resonate with. And so this is what James writes. You say you have faith, for you believe there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? I love that. James just kind of drills in on the church. It's like, hello, you think you've got great faith, but if you're not living it out, who cares? He says, how foolish. You know, when our family first moved from Minnesota uh, to Georgia, I don't know, 15-something-plus years ago, It was kind of a culture shock for us at many levels. Um, Number one, uh, we had trouble understanding people in Georgia. And they would look at us and say, where are you from? And we'd say, Minnesota. And so oftentimes I could walk away from a conversation with, uh, with someone in Georgia and my wife would say to me, what did they say? And I'd be like, I have no idea. I mean, have you ever talked to somebody who speaks English and is just like, "We are completely missing. I have no idea what you're saying." But it wasn't just the, the the southern accent that we had trouble getting used to. There was also these colloquialisms, you know, the special sayings the Southerners have that we just were like, "I don't even know what that phrase means." And one of the phrases that we learned early on was "bless your heart." If you've ever been in the South, you've heard people say, bless your heart. And so as we travel around and we talk to people, they would say, oh, bless your heart. And I'm like, wow, these people just want to bless us all the time. And and, and after a while, as we continue to hear, bless your heart, bless your heart, bless your heart, I'm like, wait a minute. I don't think they really mean bless your heart in the way that I think they mean bless your heart. What they really mean when they say bless your heart is you're an idiot. But when they say it, they say it with a smile on their face where they, oh bless your heart. And what they're really saying is you're so dumb you don't even have any idea how dumb you are. You're so ignorant. You don't even know how ignorant you are. You're clueless. Bless your heart. Bless your heart. So if James were writing from a southern accent, he might say, you have faith, for you believe there is one God. Bless your heart. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. Bless your heart. Can't you see faith without good works is useless? Bless your heart. See, what James is saying is, come on. It's not an either or. You can't just believe it, but you've got to live it out and when, so at faith this is what we try and do is we try and give one another opportunity to not just study God's word but to live it out to practice our faith in the world and I know a couple weeks ago many of you gathered uh, for the sore event and painted pumpkins and uh, sat alongside some folks with uh, disability intellectual disability in our community and then Doug I don't know did you take the pumpkins over to carriage crossing or something like that it's just a, it's, it's just a way for us to say, we're not, we don't just believe this stuff, but we're going to live it out. And I know many of you have already signed up to uh, package food for the Hope Packs at Midwest Food Bank. Is it, is it next week already? Again, it's going to be great fun when uh, many of you gather together over at Midwest Food Bank to put these food bags together. But really what we're doing is we're we're practicing our faith. We're saying, hey, what is written in these words uh, in this book is not just about filling our heads with knowledge, but it's living it out. It's so important for us. This past week, um, I learned that um, uh, over at the Salt Company, one of the church plants that we support in the community, uh, as many of you have done, uh, I I thought, well, I haven't taken a meal over there yet, and uh, I knew that... The last Tuesday was opened up. And so uh, I said to Kim, Hey, Kim, sign me up. Uh, I'll take the meal over. And I was thinking uh, for a couple days about what I was going to bring for a meal. And then time got beyond me. And then pretty soon it was Tuesday. And I'm like, Well, Avanti's is just right over there at the Illinois State campus. So I showed up with a couple pizzas and. Uh, some salad. Nobody complained about me showing up with pizza at the, at the salt company. And when I went to the Schroeder building, room 130, I was uh, immediately met by Jonah, one of the uh, people who leads the, that program on, Wednesday, uh, on Tuesday evening. And I got to tell you, it was amazing walking in there about 6.30 with these pizza and the food. Uh, Jonah met me and we talked a little bit. I set the food down And everybody else was so busy scurrying around. It's like I'd walked into an ant colony. All these young adults, college-age students, right out of college. And Jonah said, hey, many of these people just got off of work. They They went right from work. They came to Schroeder Hall, and then they're getting set up, and they spend about three hours setting up their worship space on Tuesday night. And then at about eight o'clock, a bunch of college students show up and he he, and Jonah said, well, there's going to be probably 50, 60 college students that come tonight and they're just going to worship Jesus on Halloween. That's just what they do every Tuesday night. And then after that, they spend at least another hour tearing it all down. And Jonah said, you know, you just got to know how much we appreciate your congregation bringing us a meal every Tuesday night. It's such a blessing for us. And we just fully value this partnership in planting church, this church in growing disciples on the Illinois State campus. He said, please let your folks know How much we appreciate this. If you haven't brought a meal on Tuesday night over to uh, Illinois State to the the Salt Company, it is truly inspiring what they're doing. Jonah shared with me that they've had seven college students place their faith in Jesus Christ just this fall and have been baptized already. Amen, right? Isn't that awesome? I mean, this is something that we are a part of. This is something that we partner in as it relates to church planning. And I don't know about you, but I don't have the energy of all those ants running around on the Illinois state campus, but I can show up and bring a meal and fully be a part of the church planting effort over there. It's not, and of course we believe in scripture, right? But if we just believe in scripture, but we don't live out our faith, what an easy, wonderful way to make a difference in this community and more importantly, in the kingdom of God. And so I think what Paul is saying to Titus here is, man, you got to believe for sure, but make sure you put your belief into practice in how you behave. Verse 9 But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. And so Paul pivots a little bit. He says, okay, you've got this down. This whole idea of living out your faith. But when you study God's word, avoid controversies, genealogies, and, and, and arguments, quarrels about the law. What Paul is saying here is there is a right way and a wrong way when you approach the scriptures. And this is true for all of us today. We can easily pick up scripture and we can approach it in either a healthy way or an unhealthy way. And in ancient times, the Greek philosophers, they would gather together and they would talk about all sorts of hypothetical situations, and they would just kind of spin themselves in circles. Oftentimes, the Jewish rabbis would have these conversations about genealogies in Scripture. And you've read the Old Testament. You've read some of the genealogies. And they would just kind of go at these genealogies. And what did they mean and then many of us are familiar with the, the Jewish scribes. They would think up all sorts of rules for uh, what was permissible on the Sabbath or the, the, you know, what was permissible and what wasn't permissible as it relates to clean and unclean. See, even for us, it's easy to approach the Scripture and get sidetracked and go down all sorts of rabbit trails. And I don't know if you've ever been a part of a Bible study where people are asking all sorts of esoteric questions that don't amount to a hill of beans because they want to sound really smart. Have you ever been in one of those Bible studies before? Maybe just me. Maybe I'm the one asking questions. I don't know. But it's just blah, blah, blah blah. Just because you've got the scripture open and you're having a Bible study doesn't automatically mean that the conversation is going to be profitable and helpful for all of us. And this has been going on for a long time as people have studied scripture. In fact, during uh, the Protestant Reformation time, about 500 years ago, theologians, smart people used to sit around with God's word open and they would argue about how many angels can dance on the head of a needle. It was a real... Co- yeah, you laugh. That was a real argument. And Martin Luther got sick and tired of this. And he would say, Adiaphora. It doesn't matter. These are, these are silly questions that we are asking. These are just a distraction for what's really going on in God's word. And sometimes people say, well, I just want to know. I'm just curious about this particular thing in scripture. And I would just say, what does it matter? Who cares? And so as you're gathering together in your life groups and you're studying scripture, I want to encourage you to always be thinking about, is this just kind of something that's, that's really important in the faith or is this just adiaphora? Is this something that is uh, uh, literally adiaphora means things that are indifferent or things that are unknowable? So I put together a a, a slide here for you to kind of... You might be thinking, well, how do we know? Well, the things that are in the core, those are core theological pieces. Those are things that are fundamental to our Christian faith. And sometimes people ask, well, what's fundamental to our Christian faith? Well, it's going to start with the creeds, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed. It's those things where groups of church leaders have gotten together and said, what, is the, what are the most important, essential things in our Christian faith? What are the non negotiable So what is core in our Christian faith? So it's God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy, God the Holy Spirit. we talk about these things those are what's core in our christian faith then the next thing is what is orthodox what is within the parameters what is true teaching based on scripture and these are going to be oftentimes things that um, good faithful christians are going to agree to disagree on These are going to be things like baptism. What is baptism? What's going on in baptism? How should baptism be practiced? Um, Can we baptize babies or should we only baptize adults? Those are all important things. At the end of the day, Jesus calls us, invites us, commands us that we are, if you're a follower of Jesus, you should be baptized. It's an essential, it's, it's part of our orthodox faith. But we can agree with one another, disagree with one another, over what that looks like. And this is why it's so important for us to be in fellowship with other Christians who are not Lutherans. Because there are other Christians who have different opinions about these things. But they're still within Orthodox Christianity. Another one is Holy Communion. Do you know that there are different opinions all based on Scripture about what is going on? in in the sacrament of Holy Communion. Some people will say, well, that's just purely symbolism. And others would say, no, it's a sacrament. Jesus is truly present in the bread and in the wine. And we can agree to disagree about exactly what's going on in Holy Communion. So that's Orthodox Christianity. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me so we we look to one another and we strive to have a generous orthodoxy meaning we look at other brothers and sisters in Christ and say we're going to agree on the fundamentals of the Christian faith but we're going to agree to disagree on a lot of other things then the third category is just straight up heresy false teachings and so we, of course, always come back to Scripture, and you and your life groups, and your small groups, in your daily Bible reading, you ought to be asking yourself, you ought to be asking one another, what is true faith and what is false? What is heresy? What are false teachings that we increasingly see in the world? And we're increasingly seeing it in the world, right? Even in many churches are pivoting away from Scripture. They are globbing on to false teachings. They are walking away from God's word. And I would argue all day long, they are walking away from God. And it, may, it breaks my heart that entire church bodies, denominations, are walking away from scripture. And as we've talked about the last couple weeks, we got to call it out, folks. We have to discern and make a distinction between truth and falsehood. God's word and the ways of the world. So those are some really good, profitable conversations as well. Everything outside of that, I'm going to put in the category of adiaphora. How many angels can dance on the head of, uh, uh, of a needle? It's, 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 the, it's all those esoteric questions. And again, my, my, the lens through which I would just ask you to... Uh, think about adiaphora whether it's adiaphora or not is ask yourself this question so what why does it matter if there's a practical implication to your life and to the church then it matters but if it's just a silly question about things that are either unknowable or just you know curiosity it's adiaphora don't get stuck on those rabbit trails but really focus Uh, on on the the important things God is calling us to. So Paul says, okay, It's not an either or. It's not about works or about uh, the word. It's about both. It's not about believing or behaving. It's about both. And you got to manage those things. Then Paul's going to shift gears a little bit and talk about uh, what do you do so that uh, you don't get distracted by people in the life of the church. Gossip. People who might want to stir up trouble. See, the church in ancient times was very different than today. They had people that gossiped and caused trouble in the church. Aren't you glad you're part of a church that doesn't do that anymore? Verse 10. Warn a divisive person once, and then warn them again a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. So what Paul is saying to Titus is you've got to deal with the hard issues in the life of the church. You've got to put in clear lines. You've got to put in clear boundaries. And when people are behaving in an unhealthy way, you've got to deal with it. And, you know, we'd all like to think, oh, come on, we're the church. Can't we all just get along and kumbaya and, you know, everybody just accept everyone, you know, all that stuff. And Paul says, oh, if you've got people in the church who are causing trouble, you've got to deal with them. And this isn't just Paul's idea. He actually got this from Jesus. This is what Jesus said uh, as recorded in Matthew 18. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. So what Jesus is saying is you got to deal with the difficult people in your church, but you don't just deal with it willy-nilly. There's there's a strategy for how you do this. So if someone does something wrong to you, you go to them one-on-one. You don't go and tell your small group about it or several other people. You go and talk to them and you have a conversation with them. And if they don't listen to you, then you bring one other person with you as a witness, as someone who can kind of be a part of the conversation because you might be wrong. And that other person can help you and say, you know what, Brian, I think what they're saying is, and this is why, and and they can help you a little bit. And if you still get stuck there, if there's still problems, then you bring it to the church. You bring it to the church elders and you, you deal with it there. And so Jesus says, it's, it's not just what you say, but it's how you love and care for one another. You've got to be really, really clear about what is acceptable behavior in the life of the church and what is unacceptable behavior. And, and, and honestly, it's, it's really about what is acceptable and unacceptable behavior in all human relationships, right? We to love and honor people and not be about gossip. And so um, a, a guy by the name of Henry Cloud uh, wrote a book many of you probably read this book called "Boundaries." Anybody heard of this book before? He wrote this book, and it was just, just a, and he's a, a clinician, a, a psychologist or something or other. Uh, Henry Cloud and, and John Townsend wrote this book called "Boundaries." and it's, it's really well known in the, the counseling and the therapy world and it was such a runaway success then they wrote a book called Boundaries for Kids, Boundaries for Teenagers Boundaries for Married Life and, and so on and so forth but the whole idea is, is we've got to have these boundaries in our lives and boundaries are meant to give us freedom And so this is what Henry Cloud writes a boundary shows me where I end and someone else begins leading me to a sense of ownership knowing what I am to own and take responsibility gives me freedom. Taking responsibility for my life opens up many different options. Boundaries help keep the good in and the bad out. And maybe just... If you heard nothing else in the sermon this morning, maybe you need to pick up this book and read this book about boundaries because it will help you in all of your relationships, certainly in church, but maybe in your marriage or with your kids. Some of you have boundary issues. We all wrestle with boundaries. And what Paul is saying to Titus is we've got to have clear boundaries so that we can work together and we can love one another. And again, it's this, this imagery so that we can stay on the path because if we, if we lose our boundaries and we're going down the road, we fall in this ditch or that ditch. And so we've got to stay on the path of Christian discipleship. Over and over throughout Scripture, we see this idea, this imagery. Can we go to the next right there? It's not about either this or that. It's about both and. Let me give you a few examples was Jesus God or was Jesus human? Yes. Is God a God of justice or a God of mercy? Yes. Is the church supposed to be about unity or diversity? Yes. Is heaven already arrived or is it sometime off in the future? Yes. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ, is it about walking with Jesus personally, or walking together is a community with Jesus? Yes. Is it our salvation? Is it about God's grace or God's truth? Yes. We we supposed to live with love or conviction? Yes. Is God knowable, or is God a mystery? Yes. Is the discipleship life about believing or behaving? Yes. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who invites us to live in this tension of the both and. And God, oftentimes, I know I fall in one ditch or the other. But as Paul is reminding Titus, as Paul is reminding us today, that you invite us into a discipleship relationship of both and. Lord, in your mercy, Hear our prayer.